Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I need From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. It's the Motley Fool Money Radio Show. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me this week, Jason Moser and Ron Gross. Good to see you as always, gentlemen. Hey, How you hey. doing, Chris? We've got the latest headlines from Wall Street. Retirement expert Robert Brokamp is our guest. And as always, we've got a couple of stocks on our radar. But we begin with a few companies that fall under the heading of what I like to call trapped at home stocks. <laughs> We're going to start with Peloton. Shares of the exercise equipment maker up more than 10% this week after fourth quarter sales rose 172%. Earlier in the week, Peloton announced changes to its product lineup. Jason, they are cutting the price of their core exercise bike. They're adding a more expensive version. They're also adding a cheaper treadmill. Yeah, I mean, this was, I mean, a really impressive quarter on on a lot of fronts. And I, you know, I think a lot of us were at least a little bit skeptical when when Peloton first came public. I mean, I know I was. Uh, exercise it's just kind of a difficult market to to achieve some real sustainability. Uh, but but you know, let's also acknowledge at least here the role that luck, for lack of a better word, has played in this. Um, the, the pandemic. Has pulled forward uh, a lot of business for a number of companies, right? That's you know one of those little silver linings. So I'm, by no means am I saying that the pandemic is a good thing, but there's no question that there are businesses out there that are benefiting from it, and, and Peloton is clearly one. And, and I think they're actually doing a very good job of taking that fortuitous timing and then really running with the ball. I mean, if you look at the numbers, 3.1 million total members now, paid subscribers continues to grow at a, at a very impressive rate. Revenue is up 172%. I mean, you know, that's not it's not Zoom, but but let's let's, you know, let's give them some credit there, right? Uh, retention rate of 92%, that means that people are sticking around, which I think that was one of the bigger questions that a lot of us have. Um, guiding for 218% revenue growth for the current quarter and 96% revenue growth for the year. And, and that all boils down to you know, those, those members coming in, growing those paid memberships, and then those members are doing more with it. Uh, 24.7 average monthly workouts per Connected Fitness subscription versus 12 in the same period last year. So, people have a little bit more time on their hands. It seems like they're doing some some productive stuff with it. And, and I think that, to your point about bringing the pricing down on some of those uh, machines, some of that equipment, it's probably easy in the near term to think that's a margin uh, uh, negative. But, but I think in the long run, you know, it's going to help them bring that product out to more people. And I think the big question really is just when we get back to normal, do people still want this stuff? Are people ready to go back out to a gym, or are, are people very happy just working out at home? I mean, that's the question. I don't know the answer yet, uh, but but it certainly seems like they're doing a wonderful job of getting that installed base. Yeah, that that was going to be my question, Jay. You know, the old joke of how uh, eventually all exercise equipment just is a place for you to throw your clothes. Um, and and is are we going to revert to the mean um, at some yeah. point here when things get back to normal? I gotta believe if we don't revert back to the mean, we revert somewhere closer to the mean than we are right now. People will go back to the gyms, and people will get sick of their Peloton, just like they get sick of their elliptical and their treadmill. So that just speaks to extrapolating growth into the future and just being careful not not to you know say that this this is going to continue at these rates um, even for the foreseeable future let alone you know in the longer term yeah I think that's just the, the thing that we've seen with so many of these companies over the last six months or so 
it's not that they're not doing well, they're doing well, but they're really pulling forward a lot of success. And the market's recognizing that today. But then you have to sort of think about what does the market think about that two years from now, three years from now, if all of that success was pulled forward and then they're kind of flatlining over a couple of years or something. So it just it's always worth keeping that in mind. And, and that's not to take away from the fact that they've done a wonderful job. I mean, some of these instructors have a cult following. People really, you know, claim to just they can't do without their workout with, you know, Jen Sherman, whoever it may be um, on the network. Um, I don't know why I can't just use my old stationary bike downstairs and subscribe to one of these services. I guess my bike is too old and not and not good enough. But if I wanted to be cheap, I guess I could go that route. <laughs> Shares of RH Holdings hitting an all-time high this week. Second quarter profits for the company formerly known as Restoration Hardware came in much higher than expected. And Ron... Apparently, people are not afraid to pay up for luxury furniture when they are trapped in their homes. Yeah, as Gary Friedman said, a luxury brand generating luxury margins. Deliveries were held back because of COVID a bit, but the number to look at is total company demand up 16%, um, which is very strong. Um, they were negatively impacted a bit by a 23% reduction in open store days. Obviously, the hospitality industry was kind of weak, as we all know, but adjusted earnings up 53%. Free cash flow doubled to $218 million. Um, they do see um, some elevated spending um, on the home will continue to influence demand, and the company sees continued good things ahead. It's pretty amazing. The run for this company uh, has been essentially 5x, um, you know, if, if you go back to the bottom for the year. It's still not that big a company, Ron. Do you think? At $8 billion market cap right now, do you think someone is looking to make this an acquisition, or do you think Restoration Hardware Management is like, you know what, we're doing just fine on our own? I think for now, uh, Gary Friedman really likes what they're doing and how they're executing. And, and as he said, he doesn't see this as necessarily temporary, as we were kind of saying maybe some of the Peloton demand is. Now, certainly some may be, but he sees booming real estate activity and second homes continuing, accelerated shift from urban to suburban helping, uptick in home building will drive increased spending. So they, they see this as a long-term play here. They're executing very well. Uh, some folks might remember that over the years, they really changed their business model quite a bit to galleries and membership and loyalty. Um, and it's, it's worked out quite a bit, quite well. One question he asked himself was, in this age of online shopping, will it be okay to focus on galleries and stores and that home experience? And he answered the question by saying, yes, he, he continues to think in the longer term that the in-store buying experience will be the majority of the revenue. Not everything was sunshine and rainbows for the trapped-at-home stocks. Second quarter revenue for Slack came in higher than expected, but growth is slowing, Jason, and Slack down more than 10% this week. Yeah, you know, I was, I was saying this a little bit earlier this week. It just it kind of feels to me, and I, th I think uh, Slack is still a little bit younger right now. It just it feels like a Twitter story unfolding here, one where we saw all of this potential at one time, and then you kind of look back, and it just kind of resulted in mediocrity and, and not really as, as much um, as, as it possibly could have been. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I think from the user perspective, they certainly have a lot of work to do. But, I mean, it, it wasn't a bad quarter. It was just one of those quarters that makes you ask, 
is this it? I mean, given the situation, we're seeing a lot of companies really benefiting um, from this new stay-at-home, work-at-home economy. And Slack is benefiting to a degree, but not as much as some of its uh, some of its 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 counter counterparts in in, in the industry. Um, I, I, Microsoft Teams is obviously going to play a lot into this, whether whether folks want to admit that or not. Um, but you know, I mean, while revenue growth is slowing down. It's speeding up for other businesses, and that's something that you have to keep in mind here. Uh, they are seeing. I mean, the net dollar retention rate was down at 125 percent from 136 percent a year ago. Now they noted that that was due to customers downsizing, um, freezing, and hiring, or hiring more slowly. And it's absolutely understandable. You just kind of ask yourself: Do they get that back, or are there businesses that are that are right sizing what they do with Slack and paying a little bit less in the process? And if they are doing that, is that going to be what they're doing going forward? Um, you look at the revenue growth guidance for quarter three at 32%, not really all that impressive considering um, 38% for the year. Eh, okay, but again, you looked at to some other players in the space that are really chalking up some more impressive numbers. So, I, I kind of feel like the market's got this one right thus far. It's, it's a Good, decent product, relatively okay business. I can see potential there, but maybe it's maybe it's not uh, maybe it's not going to be as impactful as some of some of the other some of the other companies in the space. Citigroup made history this week. Longtime CEO Michael Corbat will leave the corner office next February. Taking his place is Jane Frazier. This makes Frazier the first female CEO of a major U.S. bank. And Ron. I was not aware of Jane Frazier before this week, but reading about her, looking at her experience, city shareholders have got to feel good about this hire. It's about time. Uh, I love this move. Um, she is eminently qualified. She runs their consumer bank, really the largest part of city right now. She's run their Latin American business before. Um, expertise uh, over at McKinsey for a while, went to Harvard, um, has been with city since 2004, knows the landscape, knows the industry. Um, I think this, this is a great move. You know, women accounted for 26% of all senior U.S. financial service executives in 2019, and that is an increase of 6% from 2016. But we got a long way to go. Um, this is a great first step. She's not going to have any uh, colleagues at the other banks um, to join her quite yet um, that are female. But I think this will this will open it up, and, and we'll we'll likely see more of that. She's got her work cut out for her. City hasn't done great under Corbett. Uh, stocks down 36. This year, it's the country's third largest bank. They do have some work to do. As a former New Yorker, Citibank is still my bank, so I'm rooting for them. Um, <laughs> but I really like this move. Actually, I think that's one more reason city shareholders should feel good about this. I mean, not that Corbett was a bad CEO, but the stock performance, the eight years he was uh, in the corner office, I mean, it's basically up 40%. She doesn't have the toughest act in the world to follow from the stock perspective. Correct. JP Morgan up 140 during that period of time. Bank of America up 150 during that period of time. She gets to start from a low base, which is uh, not a bad place to start, I guess. Coming up, we've got more earnings. We've also got the type of earnings that you put in air quotes. Details next, so stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here with Jason Moser and Ron Gross. Shares of Lululemon Athletica down this week, despite second quarter profits and revenue coming in higher than expected. And Ron, digital sales were up more than 150 percent. 
Not too shabby, right? This stock is up 490% over the last five years, just executing wonderfully. Um, you know, what are they going to do this quarter? Sales increased to 2%. Um, not too shabby, considering most of the stores were closed to shopper traffic for several weeks during the period. Comp sales down 51%. Again, what do you expect? The number you mentioned is the big number, e-commerce up 155%. That, that's a big number. They've done well there. Um, that now accounts for 64% of sales as compared to 54% last year, or I should say in the fiscal first quarter. Um, so, not too bad. COVID expenses, inefficiencies, hurt margins, adjusted earnings per share were down 23%. Again, not surprising. No big inventory write-downs here, but I think that is something we should keep an eye on. They may have to be promotional to get some stuff out the door. We'll see if they take a write-down. They are cautiously optimistic about the holiday season, but they think profits are going to be hurt because they're going to increase their marketing spend. If you recall, um, they're um, acquiring the Mirror, the um, the... Uh, at-home fitness company. They're acquiring it for $500 million. They're going to put some marketing spend behind that. They're going to open 70 seasonal stores and key centers for the holiday season. So all in all, I think their business will get back on track. There's nothing much you can do when COVID closes your stores. Yeah, the mirror acquisition is going to be fascinating to watch how that plays out. Second quarter revenue for Chewy came in higher than expected. The online pet retailer posted a smaller loss in the quarter than Wall Street was expecting. But shares of Chewy still down on Friday. Jason, help me out here. Isn't this the kind of improving financial picture that Wall Street would want to see? Yes. I mean, but you know, Chris, we we always say, I mean, the market can remain irrational a lot longer than we can remain solvent. You know, sometimes, you know, there's maybe a little bit of profit taking or whatever that may be, and, and perhaps that's what uh, is going on uh, with with Chewy uh, this time around. Because by all measures, it really was another good quarter. I mean, much like Peloton, Chewy has really taken the cards we've been dealt and, and run with them. Um, I mean, the first quarter sales grew forty seven percent to one point seven billion dollars. Um, auto ship customer sales were one point sixteen billion dollars, representing almost seventy percent of net sales. And you know what? Hey, listen, I got one of those auto ship boxes on my front porch this week, Chris. Uh, they were able. This was interesting. I thought in the call they noted they were able to add more than twice as many net active customers on a year-over-year year, year basis, with only with just eleven percent more marketing spend. So they're doing a really good job of of getting more customers in without having to spend as much for them, and they're keeping those customers. Um, so they ended the quarter with sixteen point six million active customers. That was up uh, four point six million from the second quarter a year ago. Uh, net sales per active customer, $356. That was 3.2% growth um, after adjusting for an extra week uh, the prior year. Uh, but, but it all boils down to a business that continues to grow its top line very nicely. Customer acquisition costs are coming down. Margins are going up. They're, they're going to build a, uh, some more fulfillment centers to, to bring the cost of getting stuff from point A to point B down. And, and again, I mean, that, that pet market, you know, we, we love it. It's very resilient. And, uh, and I suspect that they are on the path towards meaningful profitability and, and I think a really attractive business. Second quarter revenue for Dave and Buster's fell 85% compared to a year ago. Let me say that again, Ron. <laughs> Second quarter revenue fell 85%. It's a tough business to be in during this time, Chris. I mean, as of March 20th, all of the company's stores were temporarily closed. They ended the quarter with 84 reopened. That's out of 115. As of now, basically, they've got 89 uh, uh, open, so they've still got a way to go. They're all operating under reduced hours, capacity limitations. You've got to spread people out to play the games. 
Um, so, you know, that results in, in, in the business getting crushed. Revenue, as you said, down 85%. Comp sales, similar, down 87%. They lost around $60 million for the quarter. Looking at the balance sheet, they did end with $224 million in cash. They raised $110 million through an equity offering uh, in May, which was probably a smart thing to do, um, you know, assuming that they were able to get it done, and they were. Uh, cash burn means, you know, the cash that they're really out the door with every week is around $3 million, $3.3 million. That's actually, in my mind, not that bad. It could be a lot worse. They've managed to lower their break-even sales level considerably by taking costs out of the business. And obviously, you know, when you're closed, your costs go down um, just naturally, for lack of a better word. I think what investors are probably focusing on is that on the call, management said 61 of 84 reopened stores are generating positive store-level EBITDA. That's positive store-level cash flow for the month of August. So that, that is a positive indicator, and especially if you believe things will only get better from here. Um, so now they're reforecasting. They will open the remaining stores before the end of December. So if you're a lover of the Dave & Buster model um, and you think that this, things will get back to normal sometime in 2020, um, maybe not too bad a stock to pick up at $16 a share, but you know, there's some risk here for sure. Kroger's second quarter profits and revenue came in higher than expected, but shares of Kroger still down a bit for the week. Jason, Kroger's stock is positive for the year, but we haven't really heard the same types of things out of Kroger that we've heard out of, say, the grocery divisions of Walmart and Target. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, certainly, certainly Walmart having the grocery presence that they have, uh, they're, they're, that's a massive competitive advantage. I mean, groceries ain't sexy, Chris, but it's a very big market, and Kroger is, is certainly holding their own. And, and, and like you said, the stock has had a good year to date so far. And, and I think that's because of the results that they chalked up uh, this quarter, as, as, as an example. I mean, comps excluding fuel were up almost 15%. Total revenue was up 14% excluding fuel. Again, digital sales up 127%. This is a business that's been able to pivot. Um, and, and, and that's obviously a very good thing. Gross margin held steady, just under 23%. And inventory was down just modestly. So, so they're really able to keep supplying their customers. And that, that's what really matters in the grocery business. So you've got a company that's buying back a few shares and growing its dividend. I could think of worse ways to play the grocery space, to be honest. All right, Jason Moser, Ron Gross. Guys, we will see you later in the show. How's that whole saving for retirement thing going? If you need a helpful tip or two, good news. Retirement expert Robert Brokamp is next, so stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me is the Motley Fool's resident expert on retirement, Certified financial planner, Robert Brokamp. Good to see you, my friend. So great to be here, Chris. A few things I want to get to, but let's look back uh, just a week or so. August was a record month for the stock market. And I feel like anytime a record is set in the world of investing, a pause button needs to be hit. Do you look at something like record month for the market in August? Do you look at that as a time for investors to essentially hit the pause button and reevaluate what they have in their portfolio? Yeah, absolutely right. So just just to to summarize it, August for the S and P five hundred was its best August since nineteen eighty six. For the Dow, is its best 
August since 84 for the NASDAQ it was its best for 2000. But really, what's notable is that was the fifth month of a great five months. So from April to August, the stock market made money each and every month, which is not that usual. Um, and that return for the S&P 500 over that period, uh, 38% was its best, best five-month return since 1938, according to the Bespoke Inve Investment Group. Generally, that's good news, because according to Ryan Dietrich of LPL Financial, when you have the market making money in five subsequent months, then generally the market is higher 12 months after those five months. So that's pretty good news. That said, we are in a situation, it's very unique, right? So right now the stock market is higher than it was at the end of 2019, but earnings are way down. I mean, the consensus is that the earnings from the companies in the S&P 500 won't get back to where they were at the end of 2019 until the second half of 2021. So you have a situation where stock prices are up, but earnings are down. That basically means much, much higher valuation. And I think it was summed up pretty well by a Wall Street Journal article published late last month entitled, The Median S&P Stock Has Never Been More Expensive. And that's the part that makes me nervous. If you're a long-term investor, if you have a high risk tolerance, you don't need the money in the next 10, 20 years, who cares? No big deal. But if you are closing in on retirement or if you're retired, if you have money that you are saving for college and your kids are in high school, in those situations, I think it does make sense to think, you know, maybe at this point, I should look at my asset allocation and decide whether I should take a little off the table. You can do that by actually selling, or you can do it with your contributions and withdrawals. So if you're contributing to your 401k, you think you have enough stock exposure, maybe just have those future contributions go into cash or bonds. Or with your dividends, if you've been reinvesting your dividends, maybe turn that off and let it accumulate as cash for a little while. I thought of you earlier this week when I saw the story about ExxonMobil, how financially challenged that business is at the moment, to the point where reportedly ExxonMobil is thinking about cutting their dividend, which has been as sacred a dividend payment as there has been in the stock market. I know you are a big fan of dividend aristocrats because while they are not the most exciting businesses out there, and these are you know, Lowe's, Target, Medtronic, Procter & Gamble, um, they got smart people working there, but you know, not the most exciting businesses. But in terms of investing, you really like this group. I do. So, let's, so everyone understands what the aristocrats are. They're the companies in the S&P 500 that have been growing their dividend every year for 25 years. There's 65 of them, uh, 29 of which have been growing their dividends for more than 50 years, and they're kind of known as the dividend kings. Um, the index itself is um, equally weighted, quarterly rebalanced, so it never becomes highly concentrated into the big five to 10 names, uh, and no single sector can exceed 30% of the index. And these days, it's heavily weighted towards industrials, consumer staples, and materials. These really are kind of your boring companies, but as a group, it yields 2.7%, maybe not as, as high as you would hope, but it's still higher than the current yield on the S&P 500, which is just around 1.7%. And again, these companies have a history of growing their dividend every year. This week, I also learned about National 401k Day, 
I learned that it existed. I'd never really heard of it before, but help explain this to me. It's, this is held the first Friday after Labor Day. Before we get into 401ks, what, what is the rationale behind the timing of that? So you have to go back in history, like the big honking law that governs all retirement accounts, or at least the qualified ones like 401ks and IRAs, is actually the Employee Retirement Income Security Act of 1974. It was signed into law by President Gerald Ford on Labor Day, 1974. Um, interestingly, 401ks actually didn't exist at that point. They didn't come around until a 1978 law that didn't take effect until 1980. And even then, the point of the law wasn't to create this account that would be the number one way people save for retirement. Uh, it did have some ways for people to defer their income in a tax-advantaged way. A benefit consultant named Ted Benna looked at this and think, I think I'm onto something here. I think there's a way to really ramp up tax-advantaged savings. At first, a lot of people actually thought that it was um, a, a tax loophole that would be closed, but instead it eventually got the blessing of the IRS and then it took off from there. So the reason why we have um, 401k day on Friday, the idea is, uh, and this is to quote the group that started this, the Plan Sponsor Council of America, the concept is you start the week with labor and you end the week with retirement. I know there are people who are concerned about the commercialization of holidays and, you know, Halloween getting promoted in August, but uh, I think we're really going to be off the deep end if I start seeing National 401k Day decorations uh, at Target. Um, on a more serious I, note, as the retirement guru here at the Fool, I am all for it. Let me just say that. And if you want to do it, if you want that stuff to start coming out two months before 401k Day, I'm all for it. On a more serious note, what is the state of 401ks right now in America? So it's interesting. Uh, so I'm, I'm one of the biggest 401k providers is Fidelity. And every quarter, Fidelity provides a report that basically uh, is the general statistics on all the 401ks and IRAs that they're in charge of. Um, so the most recent report is based on the end of the second quarter. That's the end of June. Of course, the stock market is up about 10% since then, and people have been contributing to their accounts. But to give you a general idea, the average 401k balance at the end of June was $104,000. That's up from $91,000 after the first quarter, which is when the market you know, dropped. Still down a little bit from a year ago, second quarter 2019. But generally speaking, people are doing very well. Savings rates are up. The average person is saving over 13%. That is a contribution of what they're contributing, as well as what the employer is putting in. Um, less than 1% of people stopped saving for retirement, and 9% actually increased their savings. Uh, and only 12% of companies cut their match. Uh, by the way, one of them is Exxon, because they are trying to protect that dividend. They actually will stop matching contributions for their employees 401k. So generally speaking, people are doing very well. And I know when people hear 401k balances, they think, well, 401k balances are really dictated by partially how long you've been working at a company, um, as well as how much you're making. So I actually asked Fidelity to provide a little bit more color to this. So they provided some numbers based on generation for people who've been contributing to the same plan with the same company for 15 years. Millennials, 196,000. Gen X, 375,000. Boomers, $447,000. So looking at these people, things are going pretty well. 
the thing I will say is these days we hear a lot about the letter shape of the economy, V-shaped, W-shaped. Now you hear more K-shaped where some people are doing well, some people aren't. And I think you're going to find that too with retirement savings. People who have a 401k with Fidelity, probably with a big stable company, they're probably doing pretty well. About half of the people in the country don't have, half of the workers don't have access to an employer-sponsored retirement plan. I bet those people aren't doing so well because they don't have that plan. Plus, they are more likely to be in these lower income jobs that are seeing much higher unemployment rates. You wrote something recently that made me do a little bit of a double take. Uh, It was uh, something you wrote about how to make the most of what you called your most important money-making asset. Uh, And it it seemed obvious once I actually read it, but I, I, I will admit a light bulb went off in my head when it was revealed like, oh, it's your paycheck. (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, I guess I guess that is. Um, I don't want to go through it point by point, but what are a couple of ways that, that people can make the most of this? Yeah, it's really important because um, you know we're all saving for retirement, and that basically is the point in your life when your portfolio replaces your paycheck. But it starts with the paycheck, and then of course you have to save and invest a portion of that paycheck. And it's really in in financial economic circles. This is known as your human capital, your unique unique mix of intelligence, education, skills, work ethic, social skills that basically translate into you being able to get a job, keep a job, and keep earning money for doing that job. Um, So I just laid out several principles that I think contribute to someone enhancing their human capital. And I think the number one thing is to be the CEO of You Inc. Like no matter what job you have, you have to think of yourself as a self-employed entrepreneur, even people who get like a regular steady paycheck, they're in the business of regularly demonstrating to their colleagues and their managers that their services are worth paying for. Um, Something my dad told me when I was younger is always do more than is asked of you. That way your bosses will feel like they're getting a great deal. Well, and one of the things you point out, um, and this was news to me, you talk about the importance of maintaining your physical health. what surprised me was the stat you had in there that poor health is the number one people retire sooner than they had planned. Yeah. So as we know, a lot of people are behind in their retirement savings and the standard advice is, well, you just work longer. Um, but the truth of the matter is almost over 50% of people in their fifties who are in a long-term job lose that job. Um, they may get laid off, but the number one reason is health reasons. And when people do lose their job in their 50s, only 10% get a job where they got the same income that they were earning beforehand. Um, so the hu- enhancing your human capital is important, but you do have to be healthy enough to do your job to be able to work. And, and it's about a third of people um, don't work as long as they hoped to because of their own health issues, or it could be the health issues of a spouse or parents. Basically, they had to quit their job to take care of a family member. If you want to hear more from Robert Brokamp, subscribe to Motley Fool Answers. It is free to subscribe. It is a weekly podcast that Robert and Allison Southwick do every week. He's a certified financial planner. He's the resident retirement expert, and he's really pushing hard for decorations on National 401k Day. Uh, and and we'll, we'll see if we can make this happen. Robert Rokamp, always good talking to you. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Chris. Coming up, we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Out of the tree of life, I just picked me a plum. 
You came along and everything started into hum Still it's a real good bet The best is yet to come Best is yet to come And babe, won't that be fine? As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here once again with Jason Moser and Ron Gross. Guys, before we get to the stocks on our radar, let's dip into the Fool mailbag. Radio at Fool.com is our email address. That's radio at Fool.com. Question from Natalie in Arizona. She writes, we've heard from a lot of different CEOs trying to lead their companies through this pandemic. Who is a CEO you think more highly of today than you did at the beginning of the year? It's a great question. Uh, Jason, let me start with you. Yeah, I mean, I, I was very fond of, of Dan Shulman of PayPal before 2020 started, but going through this, um, not only from just a human perspective, but also from from a CEO leader's uh, leadership perspective. Um, I mean, he has he's he's done a remarkable job, I think, of displaying um, empathy and yet also communicating that this is a point in time for PayPal, the business, where they are going to strike and strike hard and really play offense and gain market share as as we move more of our finances um, online and, and, and you know rely on the, the electronic movement of money. So to me, Dan Shellman has just been uh, it's, it's been a really, really good thing to watch. Ron? I've been so impressed with Kevin Johnson over at Starbucks. Um, obviously, I've um, been at the helm since around 2017, uh, followed Howard Schultz, tough act to follow. Um, I'm just very, very impressed with how he's handled the situation, shifting that business, closing 400 stores, moving to pick up. Um, I'm mostly impressed with his honesty, his transparency. If you ever watch him um, in an interview, he tells it like it is. It's no bull. He explains it very well, and you can trust him. It's very, very impressive. Um, for, for that reason alone, I think Starbucks is, is a wonderful company uh, to, to own. And, and if you like the business model and coffee, even better. Yeah, I think about uh, the major retailers, uh, Home Depot and Lowe's, I would say to a lesser extent, just because they're more niche than Walmart and Target. But I think about Brian Cornell at Target, Doug McMillan at Walmart, um, sort of combining uh, elements of what both of you said, um, being very smart, being very tactical from a business standpoint that as shareholders you like to see because it benefits the business, but also being very straightforward about the costs going up, the money they're spending on safety, the money they're spending to keep customers and employees safe. Um, it's, it's really great to see. Um, with that, let's get to the stocks on our radar. We'll bring in our man behind the glass, Dan Boyd, to hit you with a question. Ron Gross, you're up first. What are you looking at this week? I'm going to go back to Editas, E-D-I-T. It's one of the eight biotech stocks in my biotech basket that I've talked about before. Uh, Editas and my basket is largely focused on the gene editing sector of the biotech market. A couple of interesting updates from Editas over the last two weeks. They're focused on the CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing technology. 
Um, the FDA has granted rare pediatric disease designation to its edit 301 medicine, which hopefully down the road is going to be a cure for sickle cell disease. So to get that designation, that will help with expediting marketing approval down the road. Um, more recently, they received a favorable ruling in a really long-standing patent fight over the CRISPR technology. Still a long way to go, but this one little nugget um, gets them closer where they want, where they need to be um, from a patent perspective. So I'm still a bull on gene technology. I'm a bull on doing it in a basket approach. Spread out your risk. These stocks are definitely not for those who don't uh, can't stand volatility. Dan, question about editas? Yeah, uh, when we talk about gene editing, we're we're talking about editing human genes, right? <laughs> not like not like lettuce genes to have more calcium or something. Well, it, it, the, the technology can actually be used in a myriad of ways. But yes, the ultimate goal is to change the future of medicine <laughs> on humans. Yes. <laughs> Jason okay. Moser, what, what are you looking at? Uh, yeah, digging more into a company called Synaptics. Ticker is S-Y-N-A. And Synaptics is the provider of custom-designed semiconductor solutions. Uh, focuses primarily on haptics and touch, uh, but they pursue core markets in Internet of Things applications, including edge computing and high-speed video interface automotive, as well as mobile and PC products. And, and ultimately, it is just about enhancing the user experience through its, its ways of of, of doing things, and again, focused on on the touch there, and that's that's because they uh, are responsible for a lot of those trackpads that you'll see on your laptops or uh, the the touch screens that you'll see on tablets and phones. Uh, and, and they're even actually a play in the immersive technology market as well in those head-mounted displays. Uh, but they generate revenue by selling the technology, whether it's chips or, or firmware or software, to, to some of the world's largest uh, OEMs. And you're talking about companies like Qualcomm and Google um, and Microsoft, among others. And uh, so, small-cap company, nice balance sheet, fairly new leadership in there, trying to refocus the business and enhance profitability. Um, and, and it's one that I've been digging into lately for our augmented reality and beyond service. Dan, question about Synaptics? Yeah, I'm really glad both of you guys brought companies I've heard of to the show today. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, uh, what's, you mentioned this word haptics, Jason. Yeah. What is haptics? So haptics essentially it's it's the sense of touch. So if you're playing with a a you're play, say if you're gaming for example and that that controller that you're holding, yeah, you're driving the car or hitting the ball and you feel that that vibration of an impact. Haptic technology is that touch technology. What do you want to add to your watch list, Dan? I'm all about haptics, I guess. So I'll go with synaptics. <laughs> I guess. All right, guys, we're out of time. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.